Please join us now in this reading from God's Word, Galatians chapter 1, verses 11 through 24. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, my immediate response was not to consult any human being. I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went into Arabia. Later I returned to Damascus. Then, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas and stayed with him fifteen days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that what I am writing you is no lie. Then I went to Syria and Cilicia. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report. The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praise God because of me. Thanks be to God. Good morning to everyone uh, from the eastern side of the United States to the southern side in Florida, all the way to the third world, to Jamaica, people have joined and we say welcome. We started our series on the book of Galatians last week and we pick up in the second part of chapter one. But I want to begin the message today with a theoretical uh, response to a, a serious question. And the question is this, whose responsibility is it to fix this ginormous racial problem that is staring America in the face. My response is it's a dichotomy because in nature it's both serious and it's comical, at least I think so. And it's a story about uh, responsibility. I gave it the title, When It's Actually Okay to Be Nobody. When It's Actually Okay to Be Nobody. The author is unknown, as many good stories are. So it's a story about four people with unusual names. And the four people, their names, first person, the first person's name is everybody. Then there is somebody. 
Then there's a third person whose name is anybody, and the last person's name is nobody. Well, it so happened that there was a very important job to be done, and everybody was sure that somebody would do it. Anybody could have done it, but nobody did it. Somebody got angry about that because it was actually everybody's job. Everybody thought that anybody could do it, but nobody realized that everybody wasn't willing to do it. It ended up that everybody blamed somebody when nobody did what anybody could have done. <laughs> so what's the lesson here? If you listen carefully, you heard that nobody did it. So the lesson is, be a nobody and do what anybody could have done. Let everybody say, nobody did it. It starts with us. Pastor Logan introduced the topic of the gospel that was watered down in the area of Galatia. Now Paul had founded these churches. Really they were four or five gatherings of believers and they met in homes and houses in the area of Galatia. But after Paul left, the churches were influenced by Jewish believers who had started to spread the belief and the doctrine that the church members needed to follow some of the Mosaic laws along with believing in Christ in order to have eternal life. These Jews were saying that the believers, both Jews and Gentiles, had to submit to circumcision and obey the Mosaic laws in order to achieve salvation. So in this letter, the Apostle Paul is writing with a heavy heart. As he sees his flock in the process of moving away from the gospel that was originally preached to them and in which they had believed. These believers were bamboozled in accepting the teaching that belief in Christ wasn't enough. That we had to do something more in order to be saved. Now you might ask, why did these believers gravitate in such, to such teachings after being given the pure gospel? Well, remember that the majority of the early Christians were born into the Jewish religion. Jewish practices were seeped deeply into the daily lives of these people. For the Jewish believers, that was an easy pitfall to drop into. For them, following the Mosaic law was their comfort zone. This is what they were accustomed to. They, they could say that they were different from other Jews. You know, we were simply because, well, we, we, we also believe in, in Jesus. And so that was their pitfall and they fell into it. 
The Gentiles, on the other hand, well, they were in a, a pickle. They were in a bind. They were for the most part outnumbered by the Jewish believers and did not have that strong religious background to stand on. They were lost. They didn't know what to do, so they just pretty much followed the majority of their believers. So today we're going to be looking at how that transpired and, 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 and what was the answer that Paul gave to these individuals and what is, how does that affect us today and what is, what is God's answer to us as we face challenges of the gospel being watered down. I call it the, the human gospel versus the gospel of Christ. And the points I'd like to share with you this morning is that the human gospel reflects our need for control. The human gospel falsely protects our pride. God's gospel is the only answer. And then finally, how do we reverse the curse? Jesus style. You see, an underlying reason why this teaching was accepted wholesale by the church is the human condition and our need to own or to control. If we think seriously about this, generally, you know, you know, some people don't want to accept something that's free. Yeah, I know there are people who seemingly gravitate towards stuff that's free, but if you think seriously, there are some people who they, they don't want stuff that is free. If something free is offered, the question immediately comes up. Okay, so what do I have to do? Hmm. There is a sense of doubt, even mistrust, when the word free comes into being. If the answer is nothing, you don't have to do anything to get this free item. Well, you know, we, we're all familiar with the cliche, nothing in life is... This is the background to the erroneous human gospel, which originates in the minds of men. Paul wanted to distinguish between the gospel of men and the gospel of Christ. Paul said in verse 11 and 12, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preach is not of human origin. It is not the gospel of men. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by the revelation from Christ Jesus. He was preaching the gospel of Christ. If something is free and we don't have to do anything, then there is a feeling that we owe the other person. <laughs> That's a bad feeling, isn't it? Not only is this not a, a, a comfortable feeling, but it means that we also have to do something of equal value to rid ourselves of this feeling of debt. Recently, I needed a favor done. I went through a list of people and I finally um, called and asked a member of our church. 
to do this favor for me? And the answer came back quickly in the affirmation with the assurance, anytime pastor, anytime. Thing is, it was probably a lot easier for my brother-in-law to help me out, but I didn't ask him. You might say, come on, if it's easier for him to help you out, why didn't you ask him? Well, two of the last three times we did anything, you know, we did something together, my brother-in-law was doing me a favor. I just couldn't bring myself to asking him again. I felt that I had already owed him so much. I couldn't bring myself to it. Sad thing is, he probably, ah, no, nah, nah, let's, let's, let's take out probably. He definitely would have done the favor without blinking or without thinking that I owed him anything. But it was my human nature to think that way. And sadly, I gave in to that human nature. I robbed Marlon of the blessing of serving and helping me. Some people don't like getting anything free because it strips them of taking control of the situation. It strips them of ownership of the gift. We prefer the quid pro quo understanding in an exchange or, or the receipt of something. Not only because we don't like to owe people, but because if there is a stipulation that I have to do this or, or do that, then I have a part to play and actually the gift is really up to me. <laughs> because if I don't do this or I don't do that, then you can't say I did this for you or I gave you this or I gave you that. If I have to do something, then I can take ownership. If I did something to earn the gift, at least I can say, there, I earned it. I did this. I measured up. I did what was needed to be done. It's mine. Not because you gave it to me, but because I earned it. <laughs> I did what they said I was supposed to do. In the end, it's really up to me. This is the essence of the self-centered, sorry life. So how does this work in the area of salvation? Well, people have always tried to manipulate the spiritual void in their lives by creating a belief system in which we do something to try and measure up to a standard to achieve salvation. Think about it. Every other belief system, every other belief system, except the gospel of Christ. Those systems are based on the concept that we have to do this or that in order to be accepted by a higher power. Some have a lo long list of things that we must do daily. We have to read some literature. We have to pray four times or six times a day. We have to, to do a certain number of good deeds per day. We have to pray at a specific time of the day. We have to face a certain direction when we pray. We have to worship on a certain day of the week. 
We have to call God by a certain name. We have to speak in tongues. We have to give a certain amount to the church. We have to get baptized this way or that way. We have to, we have to, we have to, we have to. See, the human gospel also falsely protects our pride. We have to? No. No, we don't have to. We don't have to do this or that. The gospel of Christ takes this or that out of our hands. We have to give this control to Christ, to someone else. Someone else who have done for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. We simply have to accept that. That what someone else who is Christ, that he has done for us on our behalf, that we couldn't do for ourselves. This is a hard thing for the human spirit to accept. We want to be able to say, I did it myself. The idea of someone else doing everything for us hits deep down. It attacks our well-guarded sense of self-sufficiency. In other words, it touches our pride. And pride, as you know, is one of the building blocks of sin. While the human gospel appears to protect our sense of pride, what the gospel of Christ says is that we don't have to work for our salvation. That's why if anyone would truly come to Christ for salvation, that person has to swallow his or her pride. If you're intent on doing it your way, the Bible says that that decision leads to a destruction and to eternal death. Proverbs chapter 16 verse 25 says, There is a way that seems right to man, but it ends in a way of death. The human gospel is misleading, it's blinding, it's destructive, yet we follow it. It is blinding, it is misleading, it is destructive, yet we adore it. It is blinding, it is misleading, it is destructive, yet we reverence it. It is blinding, it is destructive, it is misleading, yet we celebrate it. You know, even before I knew anything about this person, I could recognize his voice. <laughs> I knew the words of his song. Oh, I found out after that he had many other popular songs. But I knew him for this song. A song seemingly soaked in the mar of the human gospel. It's not a bad song. There are no curse words. There are no racial slurs. There are no derogatory terms describing women. It's not a bad song. But it's a song which depicts, it depicts the human spirit. And it celebrates the human gospel. And now, the end is near. And so I face the final curtain. My friends, I'll say it clear. I'll state my case of which I'm certain. 
I've lived a life that's full. I've traveled each and every highway. But more, much more than this, I did it my way. The song concludes displaying the heart of the human gospel. For what is a man? What has he got? If not himself, then he has not to say all the things he truly feels. And not the word of one who kneels. The record shows I took the blows. But I did it my way. Human gospel leads to destruction. God's gospel is the only answer. But have you ever felt that way that you did it your way? You did it the way you wanted to. And the question is, can you handle your spiritual life in that way? Bad idea. Because God tells us that my way is a way of death. And there is nothing that I can do to earn eternal life. You see, we really have to accept the bad news before we can accept the good news. And the bad news is that we were not, we are not, and we will never be worthy of earning eternal life. Simply put, we are not good enough, never have been, never will be. The bad news is really hard for us to swallow. But it's the only way that we can really actually see the good news. Remember the story in Luke chapter 18 of the rich young ruler? Who came to Jesus and asked, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? This was a human gospel question. Let me read it again. See if you hear the human gospel in his question. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? You see, he didn't realize, he didn't understand that there wasn't anything in the world that he could possibly do. To inherit eternal life. So Jesus knew his heart. He knew his misunderstanding. He knew his mind. So Jesus actually answered him at the level of his understanding. Jesus said, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. And the man said, all these I have kept from my youth. On hearing this, Jesus told him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you own and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. The man actually said, you know, when Jesus said, uh, you know, do the, follow the commandments. <laughs> the man was bold enough to say, you know, teacher, all these I have done since I was a boy. Now in reality, come on, let's be honest. In reality, no human being can really answer like that. 
Because no human being can keep the commandments 100% of the time. But in his mind, he had kept the commandments since being a boy. In his mind, he had kept the commandments. Because that, that's what he answered. That's what he told Jesus. I have done these commandments since I was a child. Now this should have been an aha moment for this man. But he missed it. What do I mean? Let me illustrate. Most of you know that I'm a teacher. I teach in, uh, in a Midland High School at a private Christian school. I teach math. And I had a parent from my school sent me an email which read, and I quote, Mr. Mason, concerning tonight's homework on page 342, where is it? Let me read that again. Yeah, I, I, I actually got this. Mr. Mason, concerning tonight's homework on page 342, where is it? I replied, you said it. It's on page 342 in the textbook. The trees for the forest. The trees for the forest. In his mind... The ruler had done all the commandments from his childhood. You see, if that, if that was true, he should have figured out by now that there wasn't anything he could actually do to receive eternal life. Because if in his mind he had said, I have done all these commandments from my youth, come on. Critical thinking, sir. Figure it out. If you have done all these commandments from your youth, then there is actually absolutely nothing that you can do to inherit eternal life. But he asked the question anyway because there was a void in his soul. I believe he was really asking not what can I do, but how can I receive eternal life? But he didn't know how to ask that question, so he asked it the best way he knew how. Jesus answered him, sell everything you own and give to the poor. You will have treasures in heaven. Then come and follow me. Wow, Jesus touched a, a sore spot, his weak point. The love of his heart, the treasure of his heart, his true God was his wealth. And he was not willing to part with this, the man walked away sadly. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. His disciples then asked, Who, who then? Who then can be saved? I mean, Lord, look at this dude. He grew up in the temple. He just told you he followed the commandments from his youth. He has money, which means he can give a lot of money to the poor and the needy. If he can't make it into heaven, then who can be saved? 
Jesus had said, It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. I'll quote one preacher who puts it this way. If the illustration for the rich is uh, a camel, <laughs> what would it be for a poor? Yeah. They said uh, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man. So if it's a, a camel for a rich man, what is it for a poor? Uh, a donkey? <laughs> a dog? Doesn't matter, does it? Donkey, dog, rabbit, doesn't matter. It's impossible for any animal to go through the eye of a needle. That's the beat and end it all of the human gospel. It simply can't be done. That's the message that Jesus was relating to his disciples as he summed it up like this. What is impossible with man is possible with God. Amen. So that with the human gospel, there was nothing this rich young ruler could have done to earn eternal life. And whether he was rich, whether he was poor, whether it's a camel or whether it's a rabbit, you cannot go through the eye of a, of a needle. It's impossible because that's the human gospel. That's the message that Paul was trying to bring across to the church in Galatia. This human gospel just won't work. What is impossible with man, that is, what is impossible through the human gospel, is possible with God, that is, through the gospel of Christ, eternal life. I conclude with reversing the curse, Jesus' style. Let me remind you that we were born under the curse of sin. It's impossible to save ourselves. We are by nature unclean before Almighty God. The Mosaic Law constantly reminds us of that fact. And as Paul was writing to a predominantly Jewish church, they knew. They knew about the Mosaic Law. They knew about being unclean before a righteous and holy God. The Mosaic Law constantly reminds us of that fact. For according to the Mosaic Law, there are hundreds of ways that we can become ceremonially unclean. If we touch a dead body, you're unclean. If we come in contact with a leper, you're unclean. If a woman is experiencing her menstrual cycle, she's unclean. And if you touch her, you're unclean. If you're eating certain prohibited food, you're unclean. And the list goes on and on and on and on. If we come in contact with something unclean, we become defiled and we become unclean. Jesus was the first and only one to reverse the curse. <laughs> you see, we in Boston, we in Boston know a little bit about reversing the curse. <laughs> you know, Babe Ruth, 
Yeah, the Bambino, the trade to the Yankees for $125,000 and the subsequent 87-year drought of not winning a World Series. Then came the magical year of 2004 and, 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 and reversed the curse. And, and, and the Red Sox won a World Series. But the reverse the curse of Jesus was a bit more powerful, a bit more important, and a bit more everlasting. You see, before Christ, if an unclean and clean came in contact with each other, the unclean would defile the clean, thereby making the clean unclean. When Christ came, he reversed that. He came in contact with unclean lepers, and instead of him being defiled and becoming unclean, the lepers became clean. <laughs> Amen. He came in contact with the ceremonially unclean woman with the issue of blood. And when she touched the hem of his garment, instead of Jesus being defiled, the woman was now clean. He reversed the curse. He even came in contact with the dead. Instead of being defiled, he said, Talitha Kumi, which means little girl, I say unto you, rise up, get up. And the girl came back to life. And instead of Jesus being defiled, the girl got life. The girl became whole. The girl became clean. Yes, Jesus reversed the curse while he was on earth. And he's still reversing the curse today. So what's your curse? There's a curse of alcoholism. There's a curse of spousal abuse. There is a curse of a cycle of violence that just keeps going on and going on and going on and handed down from generation to generation. There is a curse of racism. Because if you watch little kids, if you watch little kids play two and three and four years of age and they don't know, they don't know. They don't know that they're different. You watch them play. Yeah, the only thing that you will see is the selfishness because, you know, kids are just naturally selfish. It's a human nature. But racism, you won't see that in little kids of 18 months, of 24 months, of three years. You won't see that. Because that, that is taught. And it's a curse. It's taught and nurtured. There is the curse of addiction. Whatever face your curse is wearing, recognize it now and know that Jesus can reverse that curse today. He wants to reverse the curse in your life today. Understand that we are unclean. We are sinners because we sin, and we sin because we are sinners. Everything we try to do to earn eternal life is tainted because we are unclean. The human gospel just doesn't work. Doing it my way just doesn't work. So how about doing it God's way? 
Christ alone and nothing else. Accept his atoning death on the cross as the only sacrifice for your sins. Ask his forgiveness for your failures and sins and accept his gift. Yes, his gift of eternal life. I close by reading some powerful words written by Keith Getty and Stuart Townsend. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are stilled, when striving cease. My comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ, I stand. In Christ alone, who took on flesh, fullness of God in helpless babe, this gift of love and righteousness, scorned by the ones he came to save. Till on that cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied, for every sin on him was laid, here in the death of Christ I live. There in the ground his body lay. Light of the world by darkness slain. Then bursting forth in glorious day. Up from the grave he rose again. And as he stands in victory. Since curse has lost its grip on me. For I am his and he is mine. Bought by the precious blood of Christ. No guilt in life. No fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath. Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell. No power of hell. No scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here is the power of Christ. I'll stand. Stand with me. Help God reverse the curse. Let God reverse the curse in your heart, in your life. As Pastor Logan comes and prays with us. Father, we 